tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Episode 14 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. My name is Michael Bradley, and I am one of your hosts on this show, where we are walking you through each and every issue of DC Comics Tangent Universe events. The Tangent Universe events were a few series of books published by DC, wherein an all-star lineup of creators created an entire new universe based on only the names of established DC characters. And joining me on this adventure, along with you, dear listeners, is my co-host, partner in crime, and the only man to podcast about Marvel Comics' entire US-1 series and live to tell the tale, Mr. Sean Engel. And that's something that I'm incredibly proud of. (laughs) Or incredibly embarrassed by, you know, whichever one you'd like to say. Hey, you you gotta own it. Yeah, and it, it, you know, to be honest, it was more enjoyable than I think most people would consider it to be. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, this is something that Marvel needs to collect in a trade paperback, you know, with, you know, in an essential or anything, but, you know, it wasn't. What, what do they call bad. What do they call their archive editions? Um, are they, are they epics now? Possibly. That could be it. US 1 Epic Edition. Uh, with an Alex Ross cover. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing an Alex Ross US one cover. That'd be neat. Uh, now, as I said, we are going through the tangent events from DC Comics. Uh, we've been through the entire first wave, and now we're about halfway through the second wave. Um, and, and along the second wave, we've seen tangent versions of characters. Well, along both waves, we've seen tangent versions of characters such as the Atom, Green Lantern, and the Flash as well as DC's famed trinity of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Last episode, we paid our first return visit with a second book focused on Nightwing. And this episode, we're revisiting another concept, and one that we both liked quite a bit the first time around, with The Joker's Wild. And an interesting note about this book, just to be OCD, is that it's the only one so far that's not titled after a pre-existing DC book. Because DC's never had a book, at least as far as I know, called Joker's Wild. 
That's true. They had the they of course you had that little short run of like eight or nine issues of the Joker, but yeah, they never had the Joker's Wild. You know, I'm I'm assuming this was uh, to try and cash in on the uh, the immense popularity of the uh, game show, The Joker's Wild. Which I, was... Yeah, I can't imagine any other reason why they would. <laughs> Because because in the in the late nineties that show was so popular mm-hmm. as as in it wasn't Who at hosted that all. Uh, it wasn't Gene Rayburn. Um, I, I, it, you know I'm certain. See, I, I occasionally watch Game Show Network, but I usually watch it for Match Game just because okay. I love to see all those people. But I haven't seen episodes of the or ish, episodes of Joker's Wild in a long time. Okay, it was apparently Jack Barry. Okay. Wait, yes, he was the creator, and he hosted it from 72 to 84. Okay. And then Barry died in 84 from a heart attack, and Bill Cullen replaced him. And then it looks like Pat Finn was the final host. So there you go. Yeah, it was it was a game show. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> But you want to get into some feedback? Yeah, let's definitely do that. On, We've got a, on on we, on game shows. Um, no, on on the on the <laughs> podcast. Let's do that because that'll be far more interesting. Um, because I'm going to be forced to read this in another funny accent. We actually have a feedback from uh, Matthew Epps uh, who wrote to us about the uh, the last feedback I did, and it was entitled funny accent so <clears throat> let me get into my uh, Australian accent voice here we go <sighs> please don't hate me <laughs> Michael and Sean oh jeez g'day I just finished listening to the Secret Six episode of your show I've really been busy lately and I felt like need, and I felt the need to write in first off I loved it not only because the book you were covering or the fact my email was read no it was the fact that Sean did or attempted to do once again an Aussie accent I thought it was hysterical and so did everyone who I played it for to plug his show of course inserting this right now of course also to embarrass Sean so there you go I'm picturing him inviting his friends over and saying let's laugh at the stupid Americans that think they can do an Australian accent <laughs> I'm certain that's what's what's happening and I'm certain that's what's going to be happening again <laughs> that's, that's the Australian game show Laugh at the stupid Americans. Uh, yeah, I'm certain that's uh, that's also a show that he does, uh, or a show that he watches, as well as uh, Ify Spook. Um, going back to the email, to the awful accent, I also love the song that was played as background music. Nice touch. After reading my email, Michael asks why Secret Six is one of my all-time favorite comics. Well, firstly, I always enjoyed Tom, Tom Grummet's pencils, both on Superboy and Robin. And secondly, I've always been a fan of team-up books. Heroes working together to accomplish a common goal. How inspiring. Thirdly, this issue had some of my favorite tangent characters. Plastic Band had, in my mind, a great improvement over the original. The ability to split into multiple, multiple bodies. I also thought that the riddlers and reimagining was ingenious. So to put it simply, this issue is one that I always enjoyed reading. Thanks for reading my last email, and keep up the good work, Matthew Epps. P.S. Can I request the song Great Southern Land by Ice House for background music?
Yes, you may. And you'll have to request that to Michael because I don't do any editing on the show. And he says, P.S. You obviously have played Knifey Spoon before. Simpsons reference. And do you, do you get that reference? I am woefully, woefully behind on my Simpsons. This was from, I can't remember what season this was in, but it was one of the early seasons. Basically, the Simpsons took a trip to Australia because Bart had made a prank phone call to, to an Australian boy to determine whether or not the water swirled a different way <laughs> when it went down the toilet. And so this person in Australia had a like thousand dollar phone bill because Bart made a collect call <laughs> and the Simpsons had to go down there to get Bart punished, which was basically to have Bart kicked with a giant boot, which is traditional punishment in Australia. Can you you'll have to verify this, Matthew, because, you know, that sounds like a, a decent amount of punishment. Sounds like but, to me. I don't I don't know. But uh, one of the uh, things was I think they encountered someone uh, I think Lisa and Marge encountered someone who uh, pointed a spoon at them and said, you know, Marge says not that's not a spoon, or that's not a knife, that's a spoon, and sort of a relationship <laughs> to the uh, uh, Crocodile Dundee movie. So that's where the reference comes from. Nice. Yeah. Thank you but, very much for the email, Matt. Yes, thank you, and thank you for um, you know using my accent as a source of humor <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to amuse people even if it degradates me so I'm happy about it <laughs> uh, there, there is no segue from that I was trying to think of a clever segue nope. we also got another email from frequent writer Gene Hendricks who wrote in about the Superman episode which was released just a couple days after Gene's uh, 25th birthday I think wasn't it I think it may have been more than his 25th, but oh. you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and say it's his 25th. We'll Keep him Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Gene writes, Sean and Michael, this was an interesting take on the character. It is a lot like Dr. Manhattan, as Sean said. This one does sound like a condensed version of the story. I would like to see this more drawn out with a slow change of Harvey into Superman rather than the, quote, sometime has passed, unquote, way that it seemed to have gone this issue. It would be interesting to see what happened with Mr. and Mrs. Superman and whether or not they stayed together when they both became dispassionate. Gene. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Uh, The thing we mentioned in the last issue with the Nightwing story, and it also does apply to the Superman story, was it did feel that it was kind of truncated, that Mm -hmm. it could have been extended out to the full 38-page count that we had in the first series of the Tangent Run. And perhaps if it was, we could have gotten a better idea of how Superman would have interacted with, uh, with his wife, you know, what would have gone on with that. It, it did seem sort of an abrupt end, especially, but I think that's what what was interesting about the Superman issue was that it was that abrupt end kind of led you to believe is this uh, is this Harvey Dent essentially trying to fix things or is it because he actually wants to try and reconnect with his wife? Yeah, so. yeah, I liked that it was kind of ambiguous, um, and and I'm not saying that we're going to see more of Mister Mister Superman, but. We're going to see more of Mr. and Mrs. Superman. All right. So so there will be a little bit more. So that's good to hear. Uh, Gene is host of a couple of podcasts that you can find over at Two True Freaks, including uh, the Hammer Podcasts and the Quantum Casts and and Anime Freaks. So be sure to check all those out. And Gene, once again, thank you very much for writing in. 
Mm-hmm. Thanks a bunch, Gene. It's Gene's one of these people who writes into tons of podcasts. His feedback is always great to hear. So thanks again, Gene, mm-hmm. for writing in. And we should say, Matt, Matt Apps also has a podcast called The Armored Hero Steel, which you can. Uh, I'm blanking on the URL right now, but if you just Google Armored Hero Steel Podcast, I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah, right definitely away. check out. Uh, you could probably find it also at the Superman homepage as well. So yes, definitely check that and out. The Superman Podcast Network. Yes. But uh, do you want to go ahead and go into the issue? I am very ready. All right. This one, of course, is the Joker's Wild number one. Uh, the cover date, like the rest of the issues, was September 1998, and the release date was July 29th, 1988. The cover price was a dollar ninety five US and two seventy five Canada, and the title was Blackout, which is <laughs> I guess akin to Wipeout. I'm sorry, I did do a good enough thing. Oh no, here we go. <laughs> the wacky writers, uh, I hate it when they do this, were Carl Kessel and Tom Simmons. The punning pencils were by Joe Phillips. Insane inks were by Jason Rodriguez. <sighs> Crazy Colors were by Moose Bowman. Separations. They couldn't give sartorial separations. I'm going to give it that. Were by Digital Chameleon. <laughs> Laughing Letters were by Comicraft. The Exhausted Editor was Eddie Braganza. And Tangent was based on concepts by Dan Jurgens. You know, Sean and I agree on a lot of stuff. Except when it comes to the fun credits. Because Sean has come down firmly on the stance of being opposed to fun credits where I like them quite a bit. So it amuses me that in the majority of the times we've had them in tangent books, it's been on books that he's had to synopsize. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not that I dislike them, but it's like, uh, okay, sometimes you're just stretching, you know, it, 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 uh, it's the, it's the guy who came up with sartorial separations. Well, okay. <laughs> Let's get into the synopsis. Uh, before we do that, though, I, I also want to point out, because I, I just mentioned this two episodes ago, um, all the second wave books so far have given a special thanks to Joe Illich until this one. Yeah. I guess we'll have to figure out what's going on with that. Yeah. This is something we'll have to uh, talk with a certain creator about, possibly. Possibly. Anyhow, the synopsis. New Atlantis is a modern technological warp. The city of tomorrow. Today. They were the first to sport skyways, anti-grav cars, V-arcades, and malfunctioning robotic police officers known as OMAC, something which human police officers John Keel and Mark Moonrider are experiencing firsthand. Ducking behind an impulse cola machine for cover, Keel tends to his partner's injuries when he remembers the secret behind the soda dispensers. However, pounding on the front of the vending machine only gives away their position to the OMAC officer, but before the antagonistic android can execute the cops, Keel and Moonrider are saved by the patented punchline of the Joker. A proper placement of the palm-pointed pugil stick produces a plasma gun, which Joker uses to knock out the rampaging robot. Crisis averted, Joker tells Keel that he can thank her for the save later tonight. Wink. But her presumed plans for some romance are cut short as the auxiliary power reboots Omac and causes it to attack once more. But luckily, the Atom arrives and uses his density manipulation powers to stop the OMAC permanently. Crisis averted again, the Atom attends to the officers and plans on taking the Joker into custody. 
Hoping for a last drink before her lockup, the Joker hits another button on the vending machine, spraying the area with foam and allowing her to slip away. Outwardly, Keel and Adam bemoan the loss of the Maiden of Mayhem, but both know that she is secretly working as a force for good. However, friendly commiseration has to be put aside as an angry mob approaches, claiming that the Adam is a menace to the town and causing him to fly off. As the paramedics arrive to take the injured officer away, college student Mary Marvel comes across the mob and asks punk punk princess Harley Quinn just what has happened. Harley mentions the protest against the Adam and the strange coincidence that Mary is never around when the Joker is something Mary dismisses with the claim that she is the Joker. Harley has a good laugh at Mary's expense and then heads out to check out Madame Xanadu's newest sim. At Xanadu's VRK, the owner plans to launch her latest sim to the public with her reclusive self as the celebrity attraction. At the same time, in the offices of World Finest Magazine, reporter Lori Labardis and publisher Flip Johnson are having a conversation by the vending machine when suddenly a flash kills, fills the sky and the power goes out everywhere. Worried that this might be another bomb like what happened in Florida, Lori heads out to change into the Joker. Outside, the Atom has been affected by the EMP as well. Crashing onto the sidewalk, he warns citizens to stay away as his powers are out of control. But Kimo, Hunter, and Teen Titan, members of the Justice League, arrive on scene to take the Atom down. But that might not be such an easy task, as the Adam's Secret Six teammate, the Joker, arrives to deliver a couple of boots to the head to the Justice League members. The Clown Princess of Calamity lets get some good shots in, but eventually gets knocked into a toy store for a trouble. The leaguers enter the building to track the Joker down, but instead get ambushed by a trio of mirthful maidens, who handily take them down after batting a toss grenade back at them. Emerging from the rubble, Hunter, Titan, and Kimo find no trace of either the trio of Jokers or the Adam himself. That's because the Jokers have dragged the unconscious Adam back to the Joker cave to plan their next step. Removing their masks, sisters Mary Marvel, Lori Lamaris, and Madame Xanatu work to determine just what caused the EMP that has devastated the city and possibly the world. Okay. This was so fun. Yes. Like like the previous Joker issue, this was just a heck of a lot of fun. There were so many nice little comedic nods in there. Um, the only negative thing I could say about it was I expected Matt Haley's artwork, which was just so beautiful with this. And not to not to say anything negative about Joe Phillips, but it's it's just the slight step down. Joe Phillips' artwork works really well for it. It's very cartoony, but I think Haley had such a great con, you know had such a great concept and a great work with the first issue that I would have loved to see him return. But I loved this. Yeah, I actually kind of thought the the Joe Phillips's art worked a little better for the character because it is somewhat more cartoony. You know, no disrespect at all to Matt Haley because I I love Matt Haley's uh, artwork, but 
I, I didn't mind the Joe Phillips stuff myself. Yeah, I, I could see I could see that because the the Joker is a very comedic character, a very cartoony character. Haley's art had a more realistic style, mm-hmm. um, and I thought uh, that he just had the character of the Joker down perfectly. But I, I, I can agree with you the the sort of comedic cartoony style that uh, Joe Phillips does in this book really works for it. So, um, but, but yeah, this was just so much fun. I, I love this character so much. Um, Neither Joker book is my favorite single issue from the from their respective waves, but the the Joker character is, you know, if, if not my favorite character, definitely fighting very hard for that spot. Mm-hmm. There's just no word that describes her better than fun. Yeah, and I think I think this is what separates her from the rest of the characters of the Tangent Universe. You you have the serious characters like the Atom and the Metal Men, and Nightwing and such as that. Then you have characters that are supposed to be light and fun, like the Flash and the Joker. And the Joker significantly works far better than that, far better than the Flash, and a specific, specifically far better than Wonder Woman. I thought the Wonder Woman was supposed to be kind of a jokey character as well, but that sort of relies on Peter David's take on her character. Right. This is this is really good. And Kessel and Simmons, who, you know, I think helped with the inking last time out, you know, coming together to do the the story is just it's just really great. This was a fun story. And there's some interesting things going on at the end that I don't know whether they work into the first story, but they definitely do raise an eyebrow. So I'm looking forward to getting into the specific notes for the entirety of the issue. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing your your thoughts on the the end reveal there. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back and get into that. All right. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-Death and Return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com Holy nightmare! 
So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Teenage Anarchist! I'm breaking in, shaping up, then checking out on the prison bus. Okay, we are back. So, do we want to go ahead and take a look at the cover? Sure. Yes. This is the kind of cover, and this isn't a comment on the art or or the the, the depiction of the character or anything, but this is the kind of cover that, as a designer, kind of drives me bonkers, because... When you learn about cover design, you learn about the golden ratio and in keeping things above the fold, which is like the halfway point in the book. And here, you know, they've got – on, on all the tangent books, they've got the logos in the middle, which Ryan said was a very specific design choice that he really uh, pulled for. But then you've also got the character's face at the bottom of the cover, and it just you know throws all those – the normal quote-unquote rules for cover design out the window. Well, and I think that's probably a character assist, or that's probably specifically characterizing what the Joker is. She's yeah. this agent of chaos. She doesn't follow the rules, and it's it's really well done on this cover. Not only do you have the image of the Joker sort of upside down in this flip with the with the sort of hypnotic eye spiraling thing in the background, but you also have the three Joker cards up there with her doing various poses and laughing and sticking her tongue out. And I'm I'm also wondering if the three Joker cards don't sort of kind of give a what am I thinking of? Uh, you know, kind of do a sort of pseudo front page spoiler of what might be coming up in the later part of the issue, showing oh. that that the Joker is more than one person. Which, you know, I, you know, I, now this these images of the Joker all look the same as the uh, the normal character, the Joker that we see in the book. But uh, it could be sort of a hinting of what might be coming up later in the book. Yeah, so. good call. Getting into the book. Um Page two, you know, what I thought was interesting about the use of OMAC was that this was before all the Infinite Crisis stuff, and at this point, OMAC was just an obscure Kirby creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in the OMAC stuff that they did uh, in the Infinite Crisis, they, it was sort of a robotic cyber force, wasn't it, mm-hmm. uh, created by Brother Eye, which was this satellite-based operation, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, you know... Uh, human law enforcement mm. type of deal but it, it it sort of served that same purpose on a 
grander superhero level. Hmm. See, unfortunately, Infinite Crisis is kind of you know at the point where I wasn't collecting, and so I I know of it, but I don't know specifics right. of it. I do also like on this page that not only do we get uh, a Kirby creation in OMAC, but we also get a Kirby creation in Mark Moonrider as well, who mm-hmm. is a member of the Forever People. So it's good to see that uh, Kessel is referencing kirby here the moon rider he was in the first issue wasn't he i'm trying to remember if he was uh teamed up with uh john keel i i thought he was i thought i remembered that name but he might have been because they referenced a lot of things i know they even referenced uh something from like captain carrot yeah the, uh, the one officer was like sergeant orion but then they also called him captain carrot because he had red hair mm-hmm so yeah, it's it's nice little, and that's that's what I that's what I enjoyed about the first issue of the Joker, all the little cute homages in there. But yeah. I think I think I was kind of a little bit down on it that I think they went over the top. But I think this this doesn't go over the top. The the little homages and little Easter egg name drops here are just perfectly put in, and uh, mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, page three. I really like the progression of the status quo that we see here. I think it would have been easy to make this and the Nightwing book from last episode feel like just the next issue in the series, but in both cases you feel like there's been a little bit of time that's passed and and the way the characters relate to each other has changed or, or progressed in that time. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you see Keel, he he kind of understands how the Joker works now, right. and he he has the realization that the machines placed across the city are placed there to help the Joker out in some way. So he obviously starts pounding on the machine in hopes that he'll find some gadget or some MacGuffin device to save him from this rampaging RoboCop officer. Yeah, and there's there's this recurring gag of Moonrider referring to the Joker as Keel's girlfriend and. You know, mm-hmm giving him a hard time and i like that too oh yeah page four i love this splash oh yes again this sorry go ahead no go ahead Uh, i was gonna say this character just exudes fun and enjoyment her Mm -hmm. her dialogue her look her personality it it makes me smile to read this character um but as we said last time it's it's not just all slap happy hijinks there's some serious heart here too which I think is what makes it as fun as you know the the jokes and the the quips and stuff. Oh yeah, the she. I think you hit the nail on the head. Her character is just absolutely fun. Um, the cartoony drawing of it, it's not as. Uh, she 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 looks a little bit different, but I think. I, I you know I think Joe Phillips does a great job of capturing her very acrobatic style. Um, I love the little things on the bottom of her shoes that they, and that'll be something I comment on, on the rest of the thing on the bottom of her sneakers. She's got the, the pattern. That's a laugh. That's also mirrored as the onomatopoeia above her. It's just a dynamic pose. It's just, again, so much fun. And this is a, I agree. This is a great splash. Yeah. And I, I also like the block of text that introduces the character. Uh, comics did that quite a bit in Days Gone By, and again, it's just kind of a throwback to the old-school, fun comics. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until... I, one of us probably should have picked up on this last time, but um, Keel's initials are JK. 
which is the same as Jack Kirby. And Kessel's a huge Kirby fan, and both Joker books have used a lot of names of Kirby characters. That is that is true. I didn't even think about that also. That's that could be another reference. And yeah. because I don't think John Keel was a specific uh you know, name drop of someone else from the DC universe, if I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, I don't I'm not familiar with any characters with that name, yeah. So if someone does know of a John Keel and they want to correct us on that, we'd be more than willing to fess up to being not being as knowledgeable about that. Right. But that that that's probably a good point. That could be another homage to Kirby in there. I really don't have any notes until about page eight. Do you have anything into there until there? I just noticed page numbers are off on this well what they do is they start with page one and in in all the books so far they've started with page one as being the introductory page where they talk about the characters and page two is normally the opening to the book right but you've got two and three Mm -hmm. then the splash page which should be four four and then one more page that page says four Huh, but yeah, then if you here. turn again, there is no page number on that page, but then you have seven. So, yeah. Okay, so they misnumbered the pages. Well, that's and that that's one sorry, of the things I, that kind of – well, no, that's, that's understandable because you know, people who – they should have expected people you know, 10, 15 years from now would doing, be doing podcasts about this book and would need page numbers to specific, specifically reference it. You know, this is this is a fault of the comic book industry, and we're going to have to just grade this comic a little bit harsher now. No, we won't. This is just fun. But it, yeah, I agree. Moving Sometimes, on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have anything to page eight. Uh, I, I like the Adams appearance um, as well as kind of the vague reference to their their work in the Secret Six. Um, one of the disappointing things about the second wave is that we really didn't get much more of the Secret Six, so it was nice to to get that reference that the teamwork wasn't just a one-off thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to know that the the team is still working together even though we don't get to see any of their exploits. But I, I also thought it was interesting, and I was reminded of it on this page, that the Tangent Universe kind of toes a line between heroes being loved like they are pretty much throughout the DCU and hated like they are pretty much throughout the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I like my heroes being liked but it but it does add or or you know would if there were more atom books something that kind of keeps him from being the the cookie cutter smiling akimbo hero that the the population at large isn't completely on board with him even existing yeah it it does kind of they could easily make the atom the superhero the superman analog but they do because of what happened with his his father and his grandfather there is sort of that marvelization of the hero right. that there's that sort of distrust for that character and it's it's nice that they don't specifically go one way or the other they don't specifically make him a superman character or they don't specifically make him a spider-man character right now my next note's not till 12 okay i've got on page 9 um the the second panel there which basically is the sort of splash showing the different atoms and then the joker in the foreground with the nuclear explosion it's first of all it's a, a good piece of art but it's also kessel being able to 
quantify who the character of Joker, the Joker is, as well as who the character of Adam is, uh-huh. in just one panel. Yes, and that's that's a good storytelling. Uh, that's a good storytelling ability from Kessel here to be able to concisely put uh, what these characters are and what their motivations are or into specifically one panel. So I like that. And, and really, he's dealing with four characters at that point too. Mm-hmm. That's true. In a sense so. Uh, but over on page 12, I like the uh, the look at the design we get of the world's finest offices with the rows and rows of TVs on the floor. I don't know how practical that, it, practical that is, but it's a fun idea for a media company. Yeah, rather than having all the stuff on the wall, it's a it's a neat design element. I yes. like it as well. I, I did have a note on page 11. Oh, sorry. Um, that's no problem. It, it's, it was nice to see that in the Tangent universe also that Titanic – was also a big event uh, <laughs> because at this time I think the uh, the Titanic movie had already come out and was already getting a lot of hype, so that's kind of neat. Um, yeah, there's, there's a a few kind of pop culture references in the book that maybe date the book a little bit, but not anything like that completely dates it. Yeah, and I, I would I would kind of have to wonder. If this is a VR simulation of Titanic, does this mean that the audience is going to be experiencing, you know, floating and freezing water and possibly drowning? Because well, the 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 uh, the raft is only big enough for one. That's so. true. <laughs> yeah, there's no way you could fit another person on that <laughs> plank of wood at all. Yeah. Move your ass over. <laughs> okay. And then for those who don't have the book, uh, Madame Xanadu's little assistant is Erwin Schwab, a.k.a. Ambush Bug. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even recognize that. <laughs> nice. See, uh, this is this is a much better version of Ambush Bug than what we got in the uh, Wonder Woman book. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take this Ambush Bug over the other one. But then we get to page 13, which is uh, the blackout, which we've seen in a few other books now. And I don't understand why the Adam's powers blinked out because his powers are biological. So I'm not sure why an EMP pulse would would affect them in any way. Yeah, I agree. It's just a way to sort of make him kind of wonky and take him out of the situation for a while. But yeah, comics. There you go. Uh, but but it would be interesting to see this blackout idea explored more, um, you know, not necessarily in the tangent uh, universe, but just just in fiction in general. Because if you think about how much of your life is dependent on technology, and now multiply that by about seven billion, and think about what happens when it stops. You know, there's no computers, no electricity, no technology, and it would just change the entire world mm-hmm. yeah d- d- think think about you know trying to get to work trying to yeah. start your car you know refrigeration podcast oh my god there would be no podcast we would <laughs> it would be the end of society as we know it yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's not think about that that's that's a depressing thought no podcast uh. um on a more serious note, uh, page yes. 14, I loved Lori's response to the blackout. Mm-hmm. The power goes out, and we get this close-up on Lori's face, and she says, no, not again, not another bomb, not another Florida. And it's just a very 
small but but somber moment, and, and I really felt for her and, and the emotional scars of the the nuking of Florida left not just on her, but you know, in theory, the entire population. Yeah, it's 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 a nice little inset panel here. Then Phillips does a great job of conveying that sort of dread and fear that she has that a nuclear strike has happened again and you know there's nothing that she could have done about it before and she's going to have to live through that again so it's it it does sell the idea of what's been going or or what might be going on in the universe so it's it's great right page 15 we get violently erupting Adam who looks like he's puking on energy so okay (laughs) and and then we get uh, members of the uh, JLA which I guess we'll be getting to yes do you know what time it is tell me what time it is it's the 90s yes oh my god yes it (laughs) is yeah um, for those of you who don't have the issue this is (laughs) like Sean said this is where the JLA hitmen or as I like to call them the Justice League task force Bust in. Are you sure it's not extreme justice? Because they look pretty extreme. Yeah. Extreme justice. (laughs) Uh, But we've got Teen Titan, who looks like... um, Imagine if Joe Schuster had been channeling the future spirit of Rob Liefeld when he designed (laughs) Superman's costume. (laughs) And then we've got... Rip Hunter, who looks like all kinds of 90s cliches. I mean, big armor, bigger guns, and hair that would make Fabio try to find a new stylist. (laughs) Now, uh, unfortunately, Rip Hunter also looks kind of akin to the Riddler from the last issue, except he's not as much as an idiot as the Riddler was. No, no. (laughs) and his armor is camouflage because... Yes, because... going to help hide him in Mm -hmm. in a metropolitan area. Exactly. But then we've got Chemo, who <sighs> kind of looks like a combination of, of about 30 different superhero costumes. We see some Firestorm, we see some Dave Cockrum, Cosmic Boy, we see some Wildfire from Legion of Superheroes. There's a Burn victim in there. Uh, that That's Burn as in Fire, not John Burn. Um, and he's, he's got the big boots, and it's, <sighs> it's very 90s. Oh my god, yes it is. I don't... (laughs) You know, the JLA issue is going to be coming up near the end of our run, and if these characters are forefront in there, yeah, I think the uh, Nightwing issue may not be quite the most 90s issue of the (laughs) Tangent run. But, oh my goodness. (laughs) But, but, you know, as much as we're we're making fun of it, it, it is done comedically. Like the Riddler from the first Joker issue, mm-hmm. so. and these characters—they do have a bit more, a bit more dread to them. But yes, it is done comedically, where the Joker is able to pretty much take most of these guys out on her own, and she's not superpowered. Supposedly, well, she's not. She's not superpowered, and these characters are supposed to be. I mean, their superpowers are obviously awesome, Fabio-like hair, and yeah. you know. Uh, being a douchey teenager with superpowers and an awful outfit, but there you go. And it must be really hard for Rip Hunter to be a uh, 
an assassin because he always has to stand in just the right place so his hair is gently blowing backwards. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully, there's a nice amount of breeze coming off the ocean here <laughs> in New Atlantis, which which allows for his long flowing uh, crimson locks to fly behind yes. him. Um, on page 16, there is a, I do have a note here. Um, let's see. Where is it? Uh, I guess it's on uh, the panel four here. Uh, the, the Joker proclaims, you know, the you know the way you talk, you'd almost think that you and the Adam were related. And I'm wondering if that's the case. I'm wondering if Teen Titan might be a, and this is me just you know spitballing here, but might be a son of the second Adam because it was kind of related that the second Adam kind of was a uh, a player. And he uh, had uh, various relationships with various starlets. Well, they, so they make a note someplace where the uh, I thought it was Chemo that attacked the Atom, and he said the power should have been mine anyway. Where was that? Hmm. Or was that is that what you're talking about? That might be. Where, where am I? Looking? Oh yeah, that is, that is that that is page sixteen. It's Teen Titan. Yeah, um, Adam's on the. He had the Atom in. Uh, some kind of chokehold. Yeah. And then Adam drops to the ground and he says, feeling tapped? Don't stress. I'll take good care of your excess power. It should have been mine anyway. And, he and then get any way out and Joker punched him in the face. But yeah. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm wondering if, you know, the, the power of Adam hmm. was supposed to be his because he's also an offspring of the Adam. So, hmm. so many unanswered questions. Yeah. And again, that's one of the, the sad things about these books is these questions will probably remain unanswered. Yeah. At the top of 16 here, uh, Rip Hunter is welcoming Joker to the gun show. <laughs> yes. Him. Pulling <laughs> And holding up that ridiculous Gatling gun that he's hand- holding on his left arm and just flexing. It's it's so ridiculous. Oh my goodness. But the the Joker doesn't uh you know, doesn't uh t- takes it all in stride and she's having fun with it. On page seventeen, you know, as they're as Rip Hunters, you know, shooting at her with his ridiculous Gatling gun, she's sticking her tongue out and she gives him a boot to the head with her with her shoe that uh, in cleverly titled has on the sole boot to the head. Yeah, so I, I, I love it. Those, the, mm-hmm. the words on her shoes. But, uh, you know, the Joker handles her own against these guys. Yeah. You know, even, even when uh, you've got chemo sort of burning through her, uh, her pugil stick or her, uh, whatever you'd call it. The, the thing that she throws sort of the, Oh, it had a name. Hand- what was it called? Yeah. I can't remember, but you know, That's she, fine. Yeah, her punchline, yes. And, you know, she kicks Chemo into the uh, to the water fountain, which just happens to be right behind her, which is nice. Uh, it's it's all kinds of fun. Uh, yeah, I don't really have too much to say about the fight itself. I mean, I realize that's like a third of the issue, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a fight scene, which is hard to talk about. But it was very fast-paced and, and energetic and, and, uh, and fun to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you know, we get uh, – what page is this? It's not numbered. I guess it's uh, page 20, the, the top of page 20. We get uh, we get Rip Hunter again in his uh, 
what's his uh, that that obnoxious uh, uh, Hanover fist from heavy metal? <laughs> Just stern. Too much, too much cheese. <laughs> yeah, but then at the bottom we get the uh, three jokers, and yeah. you're like. You know, uh, supposedly the uh, zebra stripe Joker was supposed to be the original design for the Joker, but they went with the more classic uh, red with the diamonds. Hmm. But I, I, I like the designs of these Jokers, and it's also like, what? When, when were we supposed to? When was this supposed to happen? I, I, I knew this was coming when we covered the first issue, and I tried not to say anything that would tip you off because I really wanted to. I really wanted you to experience it cold, so. What do you think about the reveal that there is, in fact, three people behind the Joker? I like the idea, but the fact that we saw at the end of the last issue that there was one person with the multiple masks of the different characters kind of kind of made me think, well, why is this happening? But it's it's one of these interesting things that I like the setup of it, but it was, uh, you know, again, I was like, it is it, it's, it uh, it's hard to describe it's it's confusing it's interesting but i'm intrigued by it mm-hmm. um i think it makes more sense that there's a trio of them because having this one person be in all these places at, at, at one time just doesn't really make any sense thematically so knowing that there are three people who are the you know, who are the joker who are doing this thing makes a lot more sense in the story, but uh, it, it was brought up in a previous episode. Um, at least I think it was. Maybe it was something we talked about off air. But the the tangent Joker is at least in, kind of in premise very similar to the DCU Batman. Um, ob- obviously, the tone is very different. But she's a powerless superhero leaping around the city. Uh, the first issue kind of hinted that her origin might involve losing her family at a young age. So I like the idea that there are three jokers I, I like that as a way to kind of put a clever spin on that um, or at least three three different people masquerading as one joker at different times because there's really no indication that they all suit up at once regularly because the way I read this uh, back a page when that guy institutes uh, ultra secret emergency plan J and fires off the joker signal that kind of yeah. tells me that it's it's something that doesn't happen but in very rare occasions. And we've never seen these other two costumes before either. No. So. No, we've only seen the traditional red with the diamond pattern. So it's, right. it is it, it is interesting to, to find out that there are multiple Jokers. And it, like I said, it makes sense thematically, allowing her to be in more than one place. But I think the thing that, that confused me was, you know, we saw at the end of the first Joker issue, the one character with the multiple mask. And now we see that it's multiple people portraying that. So that could have been just a, a way to sort of sideline you to, to make you think that it was just one person, but I have no problem with it being three different characters. And, uh, you, you mentioned the Joker losing her family and supposedly these Jokers are supposed to be sisters. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if, if not specifically these three characters are sisters uh, genetically linked, but they're sisters in some way linked by the fact that they've all had losses due to, you know, the uh, tragedy that happened in Florida and uh, Cuba that happened because of the nuclear strike. And because of that, they've all come together to uh, try and be the Joker to try and 
right wrongs in the city of New Atlantis. That could be. I, I, it, you know, it, I like it. Like you, I like it, but it, it does kind of leave as many questions as it supposedly answers because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really answer anything. Yeah, it, it, it sets up a nice idea. It sets up the uh, relationship between these people, but it's also you know, kind of one of those things it's like, I didn't expect that. Right. So, but it, uh, overall, yeah, it's it's a fun issue. I don't have really any other notes on it. It's just a no, that fun all, issue. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a very, again, there's really no better word to say than fun. And she's a fun character, and, and Kessel does a great job writing her. Um, we, we talked, Kessel wrote uh, the Harley Quinn ongoing for, I think, the first two years. And I'd really be curious to know if his work on that book was as fun as this, because there are a lot of similarities in the characters. Oh yeah, and if 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 they are, if the books are kind of similar, I am definitely going to track down the Harley Quinn issues. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that it was. You know, Kessel is not only a great artist but a great writer. I've loved his stuff on Superman, and it, the, his writing of the of the Joker character in the Tangent Universe has been one of the high points of of the run. I mean, it's it's just been a heck of a lot of fun, and that's like I said, that's something that we don't get as often as we did in comics today. So no. I'm looking, I, I, I'm glad that I've got a chance to read these books. Yep. But speaking of fun, next episode, we'll be revisiting another concept from the first wave. That was pretty fun. As we pay another visit of another visit to the flash. Mm-hmm. And this one I'm going to be looking forward to because one of my favorite artists, Paul Pelletier is taking over and uh, doing Ooh. his, Yes, I, I love Pelletier's no, no art. More Gary Frank then, huh? Well, you know, not that Gary Frank's art was bad, but no. I'm just a big fan of Pelletier, and I think he's going to do a great job at this. So I'm looking forward to to what happens with uh, Leah and the Flash. Groovy, I am too. So we will be taking a look at that next time out. Well, folks, yeah, we'll be looking at that. Um, in the meantime, be sure to write in tangent at greatcrypton.com uh, or you can leave comments at the website or message us on Facebook. We really do love hearing from all of you. Uh, thanks again uh, to Matt and Gene for writing in. We apologize to the entire continent of Australia. <laughs> all hate mail can be sent to tangent at greatcrypton.com <laughs> yes. and it'll be forwarded to me because horrible accents. Uh, but that's it for this time so we will talk to you all next time. Yep. (laughs) Bye, Bye, everybody. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Engel. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines, and if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. 
maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Yeah, Matt Haley was, um, around this time he penciled a, uh, a Supergirl, Batgirl prestige format Elseworlds series. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that in some of the... Some of the ads for the Green Lantern book around that time. Okay, so that could be why he didn't pencil that. Cause I, he doesn't do a lot of comics work. I think maybe he's a, a slower artist, or maybe well, he just it, does stuff outside, like design work outside of comics. I don't know. It, it could be because the artwork on that that first Joker story was superlative. The way yeah. he, you know, his his figure design for the Joker was just some of the most amazing artwork I've seen of the female form. A lot of times <clears throat> when people draw female. They get that sort of stylized look, mm-hmm. and they look unreal. They look far too skinny or far too perfect. And he drew the Joker to look athletic, to look fit, but not to look unrealistic. Right. You know, she had she had to use the uh, I guess Ariana Grande. She had all the right curves in all the right places. <laughs> Whoever sings that song about butts or whatever. Oh. You know way too much about Aria Grande music than I guess. I have I have kids who oh, listen okay. to the pop radio station. Okay, that's fair. So I have to listen to that all the time. Let me get a swig of water and then we can go back in. Is it Ariana the one who sings uh Crimson? Oh, you're you're thinking about that uh all about the bass song. Yeah, all about oh that's uh Megan Trainer. Okay. That's one thing. Yeah. I could picture uh, her Ari- face, but not uh what do you want? Well, General, the world is a big place. Thank goodness uh, my needs are small. <clears throat> uh, as it turns out, I have this affinity for uh, beachfront property. What do you want? Australia. <laughs> <laughs>